Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you today. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's look at Psalm 91. And as we're looking there, um, I just want to tell you, it's, I know it's a challenge to uh, have a pastor uh, who's moved on and to be searching for a pastor, but it's really important that y'all love each other well, but God's Word is powerful. It's not dependent on uh, one person or another. It's dependent on Him and His Spirit's work. And so if you have your Bibles, let's look at Psalm 91. Let's stand as we read God's Word. As we read God's Word this morning, uh, we don't know exactly know who the psalmist is, but what he says is almost too good to be true, it seems, but yet it's true. <clears throat> he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions. Under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the error that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousands may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil will be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, says the Lord, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Well, God, I thank you for your word. It is uh, truly the thing that's powerful. It's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. To that end, will you give us your spirit that we might truly see Jesus? And that we might, in reading your word, this psalm, have our lives transformed by you and the truth of your word. We do this, we pray, all for Jesus' sake, through the power of your Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So, I have a couple questions to ask you, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but just kind of internally raise your hand, right? Um, how many of you struggle with worry and anxiety? Who here struggles with fear? Who here struggles with stress? I'm pretty sure it's all of us. When I was a young child, I struggled with fear even more than I do even as an adult, which may be kind of weird. I had this OCD about me, and um, I was scared of the dark, but I was especially scared that someone was going to break into our house. And so about five or six times a night, I would go check the door to make sure it was locked, and as if that was going to be the thing that would keep someone out. Now, if someone wanted to break into our house back then, even today, it's not that hard. 
uh, they will find us out. Uh, and me checking the door to make sure it's locked might have given me some assurance at that moment, but it really wasn't going to be the thing that kept someone out. The psalm doesn't speak as to how to keep someone out of your house from breaking your house, but it does speak to us who live in a broken world and who are uh, overwhelmed by worry and fear and stress and anxiety. And it says some pretty shocking things. And the the key thing that it tells us is found in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, the Scriptures in general and wisdom literature in particular tell us there's two paths of life. Psalm 1 shows that very clearly. And what are those two paths? Well, the first path is to dwell in to do what we said in verse 1, to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. There are only two paths, really. There's either dwelling in the, sh- the refuge of God or the refuge of yourself and everything else in this world. And here's the truth of it, and I'm, I'm giving kind of the, the key to this whole sermon, really the whole Bible. If you dwell in the shelter of the Lord, you get protection at a radical level, at a level that seems in our anxious world too good to be true. But if you dwell in the shelter of yourself or all the shelters that this world offers, it's empty. It won't hold up. We can look at Hawaii. Uh, I've been told by many friends, Maui's the place to go, right? And it's a, it's a paradise, literally a paradise. And a fire starts and they, they, they have a hard time containing it because they live in an island. And it's horrible. And it's, it's nothing to, to, to scoff at or even really use as a, a light example, but all the money in the world, all the pleasure in the world, paradise itself can't save you from trouble. What will save you from trouble? Well, this, this ridiculous thing that God tells us here, that if you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, you're going to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. At some level, this verse seems like stating the obvious. Something like if you're gonna if you're outside in a rainstorm, you're gonna get wet. If you're dwelling under the shelter of the most high, you're gonna get a shadow. But this is tr- if this truth is so obvious that if you d- dwell in the refuge of God, you're gonna get protection, you're gonna get all the benefits of dwelling in his refuge. Why do we need to hear it? Or is the Psalms were meant to be su- to sing it to ourselves? And the truth is, as we forget this reality, we often don't get it or practice it. Um, as Presbyterians, we're known for being really good with theology, and I love our theology. We're good with theoretical truth. But we struggle just like everybody else does with making it practical, with living it out. And that's why God has given us this psalm so we'll live it out. Because the only other path to dwelling in the shelter of the Most High is the flip side dwelling in the shelter of society, self, money, pleasure, and you get the shadow of that, which is not something that protects you or gives you ultimately life. So the question that really presses on each of you, on us, as we're reading the psalm, is where are you taking shelter? Where, where are you looking for security and protection? I mean, theoretically, as good Presbyterians, most of us are like, I dwell in the shelter of the Most High. But is that really where we're dwelling? Is that really where we're looking for protection and and safety? Is that the thing that's giving us relief from anxiety, fear, worry, stress? For real. 
How good is your shadow that you're dwelling in? Well, what are the effects of those who rest in or hide in the Lord? That's really what the whole rest of this uh, psalm is about after verse 1. And, and I'm going to give you the keys to it. Uh, we see in this passage overwhelmingly that God gives protection to everybody who dwells in His refuge. That He gives peace to everybody who dwells in His refuge. And He gives prosperity to everyone who dwells in His refuge. Now, if it sounds like this is peace and prosperity, the prosperity gospel, it is. A Presbyterian sermon on prosperity gospel. Advocating for it. Okay, but then like a good Presbyterian, we're going to put asterisks at the end. But I, we need to hear what he says because it's really crazy and beautiful and good. And we need somehow to absorb it because that's what it is to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. It tells us he's going to give us protection. Now, this is found in almost every verse in, in this psalm, but I'm going to just go through them quickly. Verse 3, he'll, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, the guy who's going to try to shoot you down, from deadly pestilence even. Verse 7, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it won't come near you. You will only get to look, verse 8, with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, that not only is God going to protect you, but you're going to be, have a front row seat to Him judging the wicked. Verse 9, because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil, verse 10, will be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. That's crazy. If you rest in the Lord, no evil is going to come near you. No plague is going to come to your household. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, that is, on the hands of angels, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. You're going to participate in what was promised in Genesis 13. That we're going to crush the head of the serpent. Verse 14, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, says the Lord. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. This gives us six promises in these two verses, verse 14 and 15. Deliverance. I will deliver him. Protection. I'm going to protect him. Answer prayer. When he calls to me, I'm going to answer him every time. Presence. I will be with him even in trouble, which is kind of an interesting asterisk. I'll rescue him. And then I will give him honor or glory or weight. These incredible promises of protection that God promises to all who take refuge in Him. And what does He call us to do? He, he gives us one command. What's the command? Run to the Lord. Take refuge in Him. Learn to hide in the shelter of the Most High. And that's why we say with the psalmist, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, you don't have to just go to this psalm. You can go to the whole Bible and you see the same message. We have one call on our lives in response to the greatness and goodness of God. And what is that? To run to Him. Okay, you don't have to get all your act together. You just have to learn to run to the right tent, which is God Himself. Because there are a lot of other tents out there and none of them provide real life and protection. And they're all calling to find life and protection for you and me, and they don't provide it. But because He provides this protection, not only do you get protection, but you also get peace. This is found in verses 5 and 6. 
You'll not fear the terror of the night, nor the error that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. If you have the Lord as your refuge, you're going to be marked by peace. When all the terrible things are happening in this world, you're not going to have to stress or worry or have anxiety or fear about those things coming to your household because God's got you. Now, how are we doing with that? All of us, I heard, saw a lot of nods as I was asking the question about struggling with fear, anxiety, stress, and worry. Okay, I'll, I, I'm, I'm with you in that too. But here it says, because the Lord's our protector, because we hide in his tent, we'll not have fear. And in verse 16, he gives us the promise of prosperity or flourishing. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So here he gives us incredible promise. He promises if you hide in the tent of the Lord, the refuge of the Most High, you're going to get protection. You're going to get peace. And you're going to get prosperity or flourishing. Now what's not going to protect you is are all the other routes that our world offers. What are some of the ways that the world says you're going to get protection and peace and flourishing prosperity? What tells us money Money will save you from most of the trouble. That's what a lot of our world, especially in America, we think will save us. If we just get enough money, we'll be protected. Okay, and I, just to be frank, I buy into that lie too sometimes. And I, I, I worry about money a lot. And I think about how can I plan to provide so I don't have to worry about the world and how much money is it going to take so I don't have to like, so I can be protected. And the truth is, is that I can't have enough money to protect me from all the schemes of this world. That uh, even the people who are the richest in this world still worry about money. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that in some ways, the more money we have, the more we worry about money. That's a scheme that actually leads to increased anxiety. Some of you uh, have have thought or think that your beauty is going to be the thing that rescues you. Okay, I've never had that struggle, so I can't identify. <laughs> but there, th- this world is filled with people, especially young people, who think that if they just are, are beautiful enough, they're going to be protected from the ills of this world, but it's a lie. Beauty's fading. Some people, myself included, think work will protect us. So I, I'm a workaholic, just to be complete confessions, okay? Why do I do this? Well, partly it's because I love the mission that I'm participating in, but part of it's that I really think if I do enough, I'm going to protect the mission or myself or my family from all trouble, and that's just a lie. And so I, I end up uh, worrying way too much with money. And then finally, not, it's not the last one, but our own pursuit of pleasure escape is a lot of places that people look for to escape fear and anxiety. Um, and that, that has a whole, a whole route to it. But do those protect us? They don't. What will lead to fear and anxiety? Any scheme other than trusting the Lord is your refuge. The odd thing is, is that a lot of the schemes that we have seem like they're going to rescue us, but they just layer upon, create layer upon layer of different anxieties. Um, if, you, if you think about your beauty, you're going to be consumed with how you're not beautiful. If you rest in your work, you're going to be consumed with how you're failing. If you just did one more thing, you would save it. You, if it's money, you're going to think, if I could just have one more successful investment or what have you, windfall. 
but it just creates layer upon layer of anxiety. So what will it lead to flourishing and prosperity? Well, this psalm tells us someone echoed the same thing. Blesses the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And, and what's going to happen to that guy? He's going to be like a tree planted by streams of water <coughs> that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. Whatever he does, it prospers. It's, it's running to the Lord. It's resting in Him that we find protection, peace, prosperity. So the question then comes, why are we protected? Why are we given peace? Why are we caused to flourish if we run to the Lord? And here's the truth of it. Part of it is us running to Him and hiding. But that's not really the real secret. The real secret is what the Lord does for us. Verse 3, for He will deliver you. Verse 4, for He will cover you. Verse 10, no evil will be allowed to befall you because of Him, for He will command His angels to care for you. Verse 14, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Verse 15, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him. Why is it that we can have such confidence that we're going to be protected if we run to the refuge of the Lord? Because the Lord gives us this crazy promise. If we come to him, I will do all the heavy lifting. I will be the one who cares for you. Why? Because I love you. Not only did I create you, but I sent my son to die for you. Romans 8, 28, something that we think about as struggle comes. For we know, right? Good Presbyterians, you should know this. That God works all things for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. But there are a lot of things that happen in our lives that don't feel good, that aren't objectively good. But what's God saying? He's saying even when those things happen to us, He's using them for our good to draw us nearer to Himself, to make us more like Him. And in the end, He's going to rescue us ultimately. So what's our job? God's the real protector. What's our job? And I've already hinted at it multiple times. It's to run to the Lord, to take refuge in Him. He who dwells in the shelter of the Lord is the one who will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So what's the command? He's, what's the urge he's giving? Dwell in the shelter of the Most High. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. Verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, all these things are going to happen to you. Because he holds fast to me in love, verse, verse 14, I'm going to do all these things. When he calls to me, I will answer him. There is a responsibility. Presbyterians don't tend to like to focus on responsibility. But here's the thing. We have a responsibility. If you don't come to the Lord, if you don't run to Him, you're going to miss out on all the blessings of God. And, and here's the crazy thing. If you come to Him, you can know it's the Lord who's, who's enabling you to do that. That's what the Holy Spirit does is He awakens us to our need, makes us hungry, allows us to creep, crawl, and, and struggle to, to, toward the Lord. But we're called to run to Him, to come to Him. That should be our daily, what we wake up in the morning doing. God, I know I'm a screw-up. This is at least for me. And the only, my only hope is that you'll show up and help me. And at the end of the day, we say, God, I screwed up. My only hope is that you're going to still be my refuge tomorrow. That my hope is Jesus. 
Because ultimately, the, the real shadow shelter is the blood of Christ. So what's the other path? The other path is the way of the fool. It's the way of the squirrel to ignore God, to put Him off, to treat Him like an idea for us who are Presbyterian. So what's your functional refuge? What really are you trying to hide in to protect you? What do you worry about? That shows a lot of what we tend to functionally put a refuge in. What do you spend money on? When you, when you have free thought, where do those free thoughts go? What do you dream about? What do you spend your time on? All these things reveal where we're putting, where, what we're really running to for refuge. And here's the thing. If you're running the wrong thing, cheer up. It's probably worse than you think. You're in, you're in good company or bad company. All of us are in that same company. Okay, but the good news is, is the Lord loves you and He still invites you to come to Him. There's only one day that you, that's going to come where you can't run to Him. That's when you're dead. At that day, your opportunity will be closed. Okay, we never know when that day is going to come. But until then, He's calling for us, all of us. If you've not come to know the Lord, if you've known Him for a thousand days, a thousand years, nobody here is a thousand years old, hundred years maybe, 90, 80, 70. Come to me. I'll give rest to your souls, Jesus says. Now, some of you are saying, this is really beautiful, Howard, but like it's too good to be true. How do I know that? Because I've had terrible things happen to me. I've trusted the Lord for a long time and I've had terrible things happen to me. And, and those who are some of our Pentecostal charismatic friends and who believe the prosperity gospel would say the reason is, is because it's a fail, failure of you, something you didn't do. Okay, I don't, there may be some bit of truth in that that you haven't run to the Lord. But on the whole, it's a, it's a lie. It's not, it's not functional truth. How do I know that? Well, some of the best people in the whole Bible who trust the Lord deeply had terrible things happen to them. Who are some of those people? Job. Okay, good example. Job loved the Lord, was trying to disciple his whole family, and Satan came and tempted him. Okay, Paul. Once he came to know the Lord, he was really zealous. He's the most faithful missionary probably ever, right? Except for Jesus. And they stoned him. Okay, I'm sure when he was getting stoned, he was thinking, this doesn't feel like Psalm 91 is playing out very well right now. <clears throat> okay, and then worst of all, Jesus. Jesus was the most faithful one. He trusted the Lord, the, his Father, more than any of us, anyone of all creation. And what happened to Jesus? All his friends abandoned him. He lived in poverty. And in the life, they crucified him. No kidding. Tor torturing him and crucifying him. Early, early, earlier in his ministry, Luke 4, Satan came to him. Y'all remember this, right? And tempted him with several things. Psalm 91 is only repeated directly in one place in the Bible, and it's by Satan himself. Whoa. You remember what happened? Satan says, puts Jesus at the pinnacle of the temple and says, hey, jump off and you'll be okay, right? Because remember Psalm 91? He's going to send angels to protect you. Now, Jesus had been meditating on the, on the Shema and the, and, uh, the passage in Deuteronomy 4 through 6, really. 
He said, hey, thanks, but like, not only are you remembering that, but he also said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And so he didn't test the Lord in that way, but it wasn't because he didn't believe it. Because here's the thing, and this is, uh, this is what's, um, well, there's one other thing I want to tell you. What was Satan trying to do? He was trying to do the same thing that he tries to do with us, right? If you trust the Lord, it's the path of life. But what about? Right? That's what he asked Eve and Adam. The Lord's, I mean, sure, he's kind of nice, but he's not really, he, he's not really out for your good. Because what about all the things that happen to you? And what about all the dangers that lie ahead for you tomorrow, this week, throughout the rest of your life? He's not really going to be the one who protects you. That's what he was trying to do with Jesus. There's a danger in presumption. There's also a danger in protesting the Lord. Years ago, I had a pastor named George Robertson. And George Robertson would preach, he preached the Psalms while I was in St. Louis and one of the things he would frequently say that was really helpful to me and I think will be helpful to us as we grapple with the psalm is that the psalms sing best first in the mouth of Jesus. Now that may sound like a weird thing, but Jesus did sing the psalms. But this Psalm 91, first, is true of Jesus. How is it true of Jesus? Well, think about what all it says. I'm we want the one who delivers you from all trouble. I'm going to be the one who sends his an- the angels so that they don't strike your foot against the stone. You will be the one who treads on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Now, some of you are, are relatively biblical scholars. You know Genesis 3.15. Uh, what happens in Genesis 3.15? Adam and Eve sin against God. God's giving out uh, punishment, but he says to Eve, you're going to bear a son and your son's going to crush the head of the serpent. It's known as the uh, first gospel, the proto-euangelion. But here in Psalm 91, the psalmist is saying the same thing. And who's this going to be true of? It's going to be true first and fundamentally about Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who's going to flourish. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, Jesus was certainly crucified, but there's something else that happened to Jesus if you don't know the rest of the story. What happened to Jesus after his death and burial? Resurrection. Okay, his disciples, even though he told them multiple times that it was going to happen, they didn't get it. They were hiding in a room, scared to death for fear of the Jews that they were going to do the same thing to them that they did to him. And then he shows up. He t- shows up to the women first, and then the women tell the apostles, and Peter and, and, and John are running, and they see him. They can't believe it, but they do believe it, right? But what was happening there is that the Father was fulfilling Psalm 91 with Jesus. And here's the crazy truth of it. Because it's true of Jesus, now it's true of us. You see, because Jesus died and rose again, 
It's now true of him. Everything in Psalm 91 is playing out for Jesus marvelously. He's been exalted to the highest place where at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to confess, every tongue is going to shout out that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. But because this is true of Jesus, it's also true of us. Now, it shows up here in this life in pretty remarkable ways. God's always committed to your good and my good if you know him. If you hide in the shadow, shelter of the Most High, you experience the shadow of the Almighty even in this life. But not in a, not in a no trouble way. It's, I'm going to be with you in trouble, as he says in verse 15. But there's going to come a day when this psalm is going to be uh, unfiltered true of us. When's that day going to be? When you die. When he returns. When resurrection happens. And here's the truth of it, and this is hard for us to believe as American Christians even. One day you're going to die. And it's horrible. But if you know him, something crazy is going to happen on that day. You're going to enter into the presence of the Lord. And, so, and, day, and Paul said in wrestling with these things, I struggle. There's a part of me that wants to depart and be with the Lord. But I know he sent me here for a purpose to be here to minister. But why does he want to be in the presence of the Lord? Because he realizes Psalm 91 is going to be fulfilled in all its fullness. When Jesus comes back and returns and we all get to be with him, it's going to be fulfilled in its fullness. No evil will befall your house ever again. So how does this play out for us in reality? Um, I have a friend named Tracy. Um, she's about my same age. At one point she went to our church. And about a month ago she, she uh, gave a Facebook update. I don't get to interact with her that frequently. She said, I want to give a life update on me and my crazy legs. At around 50 years old, um, something happened to her where she lost she, she has an upper motor neuron disorder. Um, and what, what she calls it is Scooby-Doo legs. And what, what that means is that she's gone from being a really healthy adult to not being able to walk at all. Really hard. She's a believer. Why would this happen to her? And she says, three things I found that helped me the most are diet and exercise, my people, my friends and family, but mostly God. And then this, here's what she said. My walk with God was stagnant before this, but now it's on fire. He is with me and equips me with everything I need. I feel his presence, peace, and joy. And believe it or not, I'm thankful for everything, even this illness. I don't understand it, but I know it's part of his plan. And I just want to glorify him through all of this. Now what's my friend Tracy saying? She's saying Psalm 91 is true even in this life. That God's chasing after me only for good as his child. But he, he allowed this terrible thing to befall me because he wanted to draw me near to him. That the catalyst to me being set on fire, my faith being set on fire, was going through this hardship and me learning to run to him as the refuge. Now, I'm not saying, what Psalm 91 is not saying is terrible things will happen to you in this life. I guarantee you that. We live in a broken world. What are we to do when they do? Run to the shelter of the Most High. When you do, that terrible thing will actually be turned to some earthly good. It may be that you grow in your likeness to Jesus. It hopefully, it will be that you grow in your nearness to 
the Lord, experiencing His presence, and are able to represent Him in beautiful ways that you may not have had the opportunity to otherwise. But the other piece of it is this, is there coming a day when Christ, you're going to die and Christ is going to welcome you. He's going to say, enter into my uh, presence, good and faithful servant. No, no evil will ever befall you ever again. So this should radically affect how we live, right? You and I have an opportunity every day, every week we're being sent out from here. We're hearing God's word, not just so we can get it in our heads, but so we can live it out in our lives, so we can bear it before others. This week you'll have an opportunity to do that. To, to bear witness that He is the good one, that we have only one refuge, that not just we, everybody does. And life is found in Him. So in closing, I want to tell you about a movie that I saw. Some of you may have seen it. How many of you have seen The Sound of Freedom? Okay, about a third of you. So uh, I'd been hearing some things, and uh, I rarely get away so I just, uh, to the movies, but I, was, like, I want to go to the movies, so went to the movies alone. Uh, it was glorious. And I uh, watched this movie, and it, it was pretty gripping. And I'm not going to give the whole story away, but it's about a, a CIA agent named Tim Ballard who basically his job was to catch uh, pedophiles and such um, and to put them away. And as he's working, he gets with a new guy. He's been in for several years. He has just less than a year before retirement. He's working with a new guy, and, and the new guy's like, does it ever trouble you that like all we deal with are the bad guys and we never save the little kids? That's actually a really good question for law enforcement kind of stuff. And so he said, you know, you're right. I need to like try to like save the, the little kids along with putting the bad guys away. And so the next time it came up, a bad guy came along and, uh, and he captures him. Um, but he, he, he finds out, hey, we're going to figure out what all the kids, the kid you're trying to sell me right now has a story on. And so he tries to go save the kid, and he goes saves the kid and brings him to his father. He's from Honduras. And the dad says, hey, thanks so much for saving my boy, but they took my girl too. Could you sleep if they took your child? And he's so troubled by that statement, he then goes on a, on a, uh, a mission to go save this girl. Um, now, one of the things that the movie makes obvious is that part of the reason he's doing this, he has a family, beautiful family, beautiful wife, beautiful life, as it were. Um, but he's, he's a believer. And his faith is what drives him on a day-to-day basis. It's clear when you watch the movie, it's clear in real life. And so he, he, he goes and he, he goes in this rescue mission to save a bunch of kids trying to capture the one who took the girl and the boy, and he captures the lady took the girl and boy, but the girl's not in the group of kids that he saves then. And so he asks, he's like, okay, the only way I can go save them, I know where the girl is now. She's in the hinterlands with the bad, bad crew. And the, the uh, uh, Columbia and police won't even go to that area. It's so dangerous. And so I'm not going to give the movie away to you, but he, he goes in that area risking his very life in order to save this girl. Now, why did he do that? Why, why would we take risk to, to do crazy things that might hurt us in living out the mission of God? The reason he did that is because he really believes something anyone to be true. That even if I die, the Lord's going to use it for good. That even if I die, he's going to care for my family. 
that when I die, that actually better things are going to come to me. And, that, and for that reason, he went to try to save this girl for her family's sake. He risked his life. Now you and I, maybe we shouldn't go to Honduras this week. Maybe we should. Who knows? But I will tell you what we should do. Lay out our lives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the mission of God to, to see people helped in a way that may be risky for us because we're not worried about what will happen to us because the Lord has got our back. Do you believe that? Run to the Lord if you don't know Him. Run to the Lord if you do know Him. And if you do know Him, take some risk in light of this trust that we have because the Lord is faithful. Jesus took that risk for us and rescued us. We might be on mission with Him. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank You that You are the King of the world and the Creator of all things, and You're also the one who is the only true shelter where good can be found. I thank you that you have invited us into this reality, Jesus, that you risked it all, that you gave your life and suffered much for us in order to invite us into this reality where we be cared for forever. In light of that, will you help us to run to you, the Most High, for shelter? And and will you cause your goodness, your shadow to abide with us forever? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.